You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Congregation, I now invite you to open God's Word. And we'll read from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought to their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. And said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I am looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from their hand and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. 
As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Joseph said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for twenty shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Creation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our text this morning, we find a young man named Joseph. Joseph's a young man around 17 years old. And like many young people, he likely had ambitions. Young people often have ambitions, don't they? Maybe that's the sort of home that you like to have in the future, or maybe that's the type of friends you see yourself spending your time with. Sometimes maybe even the boy or the girl you'd like to marry. Young people have energy, they have ambitions, they have dreams, and that's a beautiful thing. I have on my shelf a a book written not by a young man, but by an old man. It's a big yellow book. And it's written by an old man who for many years had counseled Christians. He was a, a Christian counselor. And he says one of the, the common problems that he finds when talking to people who have, who have moved out of youth into adulthood, one of the common problems that he finds is that they, they feel like they're trapped. And like all the ambitions, all the dreams that they had, that they're no longer possible. Sometimes it's because of steep financial commitments they've made. They've become in debt and have very little room to move. Perhaps it's they've they've been stuck in a, a job and they find it difficult to change. But in any case, you found that was a common theme of, among young adults was this feeling of, of wanting to change but not being able, of, of the dreams of youth evaporating. In a very tragic way, we see that happen to this young man, to Joseph. 
Joseph begins the chapter as uh, as an active young man, loved by his father. And he ends the chapter trapped and enslaved. All his dreams are dashed, shattered by sin. And yet, brothers and sisters, as we pay attention to this chapter this morning, we'll see that the message of this chapter is actually amazingly hopeful. The message is amazingly hopeful, for it shows us that God has a great and wonderful plan for the life of his children. And that God's plan, you could say God's dream, that that dream will be fulfilled despite sin. That nothing in all the world can stop it. Not your sin, not the sin of anyone else. But that God's dream will be fulfilled. And so this morning I summarized for you the message of God's word with this theme. God's dream fulfilled despite sin. And we'll see that this dream can be a hard to swallow dream. Second, a shattered dream. And finally, a surviving dream. Now, Jacob and his family, they view dreams somewhere differently than probably you and I do. Dreams are not simply the unconscious musings of the mind while we're asleep. Sometimes if you've had a, a very stressful or busy day and then you, you fall into bed at the end of the day, your, your mind is so busy that your, your thoughts are full of dreams. Now, in the Bible, if you read through the book of Genesis, you find that at key moments in the lives of his children, God used dreams to reveal his will to his people. You might remember, for example, the situation in Jacob's life, how when he had had left Canaan and was on his way to, to live with Uncle Laban in Syria, how he had this dream of, of a ladder coming down from heaven, right? And he saw angels ascending and, and descending on this ladder. So the Lord used dreams to give a specific message to his people, and his people acted upon those dreams. This was in the time before the word of God was completed, and so God used that means to reveal his will to his children. So when Joseph has these dreams, that's a big deal. The Lord was telling Joseph something about his life. Those, these sheaves of the field, all the other sheaves bow down to his sheaf. The sun, moon, and stars representing his mom and dad and brothers and sisters, or brothers rather, they all bow down to him. It's a very clear dream. It needs, it needs no explanation or application. The fact that he has this dream twice just impresses its certainty. The Lord was telling Joseph that at some point he's going to be in a position of leadership in his family. He would at some point rule over his brothers. Very clear dream. And yet, when you reflect on it, the Lord could not have given Joseph a more challenging dream. We read that when Joseph told these dreams to his brothers, they hated him. Now, you remember how Jacob had a very big family. 
Unfortunately, it wasn't a very happy family. Jacob had four wives, 12 sons, and some daughters. But this was a, a family where there was a lot of tension, jealousy, and fighting. You know the story how jo- Jacob was tricked into having not only Rachel as a wife, but also Leah. And then later on, their, their maidservants as well. And how Rachel and Leah had this, this rivalry going on. How Jacob sadly loved Rachel, but not Leah. But yet Leah had lots of children and Rachel didn't have any. And how there was this constant tension and fighting between the parents. What we see in Genesis 37 is that this cycle from the parents passes on to the children. That's often the way it is in life. How children learn things from their parents. Children learn good things from their parents, but they also learn bad things from their parents. And unless children stand up and say, look, this is this is the way it was in the past. This is the way things happened in the family when I was growing up, but we're not going to do that. We're going to be we're going to be different. Children often repeat the cycle of their parents, learning from their parents. And that that's what happens in Genesis 37, isn't it? How you see the tension of Rachel and Leah come into Joseph and his brothers. Listen to some of the the incidents. Joseph, the young man of 17, was tending the flocks of his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report of them. Was this report true? Maybe. The word used for bad report here is most often used in the Bible for for gossip or for slander. Was it true? Maybe. But what's clear is that Joseph badmouths his brothers to die. Sadly, Jacob doesn't make things better either. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, and he also loved Joseph more than all his other sons. Now, in a healthy family, that that shouldn't happen. In a healthy family, children are loved by their parents unconditionally with no strings attached. They're not loved for what they do. They're not loved for what they look like. They're not loved for what they achieve, but they're loved simply because they're, they're children. There's no favoritism. Every child has a special place in the heart of their father and mother. That's the way it is in families. Jacob doesn't try to hide his favoritism for Joseph. He shows it in a very obvious way. He makes a richly ornamented robe. Almost a royal robe. That word is used for for the clothing of royalty. And so you got to imagine now Joseph is, is standing here in his his royal resplendent ornamental robes. And he says to his brothers, look, I've had a dream. And that dream is that you are going to bow down to me. And later he comes again and says, I've I've had another dream. And that's that you and and also mom and dad, you're all going to bow down to me. You can imagine that this, this would not have been popular among the brothers. That this would be a hard pill 
to swallow. When he tells it to Father Jacob, it's even a bit much for Father Jacob. He's, we read that Jacob rebukes him. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? If you read commentators on this passage, many of them are not very kind to Jacob or to Joseph at this point. Joseph is described as a tattletale. He's described as a spoiled brat, as cocky and arrogant, bragging to his older brothers about his wonderful future as their new boss. The interesting thing, though, about Genesis chapter 37 is that there there isn't really any evaluation about Joseph at all. It actually tells us very little about Joseph and the way he was feeling or acting. It tells about the brothers and their hatred, but it doesn't tell us about Joseph. We don't read, for example, that, that Joseph suggests to his brothers that perhaps they should they should start practicing groveling at his feet. Now, that may have been true, but the text doesn't say it. The text tells us very little about Joseph. Simply, he he tells the dreams, and that's it. The text focuses on the dreams. The point is that Joseph is presented as as a pipe dispensing God's revelation. You might think of a, a pipe of water, for example, in your home. When you turn on the tap, water gushes out. That's that's the point of a tap. You don't focus on, on the pipe, but you focus on the clear water that comes out. And it's the same with Joseph. The message that Joseph brings is very clear. Very clearly he brings God's will. But because of the pipe that it came out of, it was very hard for the brothers to swallow. There's a lesson in this for us, brothers and sisters. God's word is very clear, isn't it? God's word, the message of his word is so clear. God's word tells us who he is. It tells us how we need to respond to that how we need to live lives of thankfulness to him. It's very clear. And yet sometimes God's word for us is hard for us to swallow. Sometimes that can be because of the person who is bringing that word to us. The person we may have a a long history perhaps of, of tension and conflict with. Because of the person who who brings us the word. We can have a hard time swallowing it. Maybe that could be a father or a mother. Or an office bearer. Or another member of this congregation whom you hear God's word from. But sometimes because of the person who brings the word, we find it hard to swallow. It was the same actually with 
the Jews and the Lord Jesus. The Jews, they rejected the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus showed them very clearly who he was, that he was the Messiah. He had shown this through miracles, through teaching. And you remember how one of the Jews, a man named Nicodemus, how he comes to the Lord Jesus at night. And he says to him in John 3, he says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. That's an amazing thing that he says, isn't it? He says, we know, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. They knew who the Lord Jesus was. It was very clear. Later on, after the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, they had their own soldiers, ran from the tomb and and told them what had happened. But still they refused to accept it. God's revelation is, is so very clear, isn't it? He tells you who he is and he says, this is how you need to respond. You can think of the brothers of Joseph here, the sons of Leah. Think of all the shame and abuse that was heaped on their mother. How hard it would have been for them to, to accept then Joseph as their leader. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? It goes against what they wanted. It's hard to submit to God's will when his dream is different than our dream. In our second point, we'll see how, because of this, the dream is seemingly shattered by sin. If the brothers understood the dream, as they should have, at the very least you'd expect them to be friendly and and civil toward Joseph. But we find they don't. Actually, they reject the dream. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. Verse 8, they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Verse 11, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his brothers were jealous of him. So all this this hatred, it's brewing in their hearts and it it sort of comes to a climax. The brothers are, are shepherding their flocks near Shechem. Shechem was, you remember, the place where their sister Dinah had been defiled. Where Simeon and Levi had gone in and, and killed all the men in Shechem. It was a place where Jacob and his sons were persona non grata. And yet the brothers are pastoring their flocks there. So Joseph predictably is not there. He's hanging out at home. Jacob, rightly concerned about his sons, sends Joseph to check up on them. Shechem was some 80 kilometers away, a two-day walk. When he gets there, he finds they're not there. They're in Dothan, another 25 kilometers. It's a long way to walk, a long way from the protective care of his dad. And the story that follows shows us the devastating power of sin. Joseph's wearing his fancy coat, even for a walk in the wilderness. So they can recognize him a long way off. 
they decide to kill him and to throw him in the pen. And the author, the inspired author, wants to highlight for us just how shocking this is. Repeatedly in this chapter, he repeats the word brother. Joseph came to his brothers and they stripped him of his robe. Again, there's the word brothers again and again. Brothers. They did this to their brother. Reuben's suggestion that they don't actually kill him, but just throw him into a pit, isn't really much better at all. Reuben suggests that that they throw him into a cistern. And the cisterns that they had in the wilderness, wilderness were designed for holding water. So they had a narrow shaft at the top, and then they had a a hole for holding the water underneath. And this would have been plastered to, to seal it in. This one happens to be empty, so Joseph is dropped into the cistern. And there's really no way for him to, to get out. Reuben suggests they don't actually physically kill him themselves. But his suggestion is actually that they kill him just by letting him starve to death in the cistern. There's a a poignant note in the chapter that highlights their cruelty. It says they, they drop him into the cistern and then they sit down and have lunch. They sit down to eat. Just to highlight how callous and hard these men were. They sit down to eat. We don't read anything that Joseph says at this time. Joseph is silent. We don't read about his cries for mercy. Joseph is presented almost like a lamb just walking into this trap, isn't he? He's fairly docile. He he walks in the wilderness, comes to his brothers, and there he is in the pit. Joseph is like a lamb going to the slaughter. Like Isaiah says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Joseph is silent, like the Lord Jesus. Now what drove the brothers to do that? What drove these grandsons of Isaac, these great-grandsons of Abraham, what drove them to be so cruel? These men were, were members of the church, you could say. They were God's covenant people. They had God's sign of his promise. Church members. What drove them to be so cruel to their own brother? Was it their jealousy of Joseph? Because the father loved them. Was it their annoyance at his arrogance? How the younger brother would, would tell them these dreams? Well, our text tells us very precisely what it was. It tells us that actually it was his dreams. It says in verse 19, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him. They say, then we will see what comes of his dreams. And brothers and sisters, that is a frightening, frightening thought. The brothers, they took the dreams seriously. 
They understood them, but they found them hard to swallow. They didn't like the dream. And so by killing Joseph, they thought to get rid of this dream. When Joseph is dead, the dreams cannot come true. Joseph's life was shattered. All his dreams and ambitions would not come true. He was sold as a slave to Midianite traders. Slaves didn't have a very long life expectancy. Expectancy. That's a picture of what sin does. God's revelation is very clear for you. The message of his word and what it requires of us, how we respond, is very clear. And when we rebel against that word, that causes devastation in our lives. Many Christians today experience devastation because of rebellion against God's word. All over this world today, there are Christians who are imprisoned simply because the government doesn't want to hear, doesn't want to hear the dream of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. That sin causes devastation in their lives. Also, in our own lives, we struggle with the effects of sin. That can happen when we're very young, how a teenager at school can suffer Ridicule can happen when we're older if we experience violence, sexual assault, sin of other people that that hurts us, that has devastating consequences for our life. In our passage, we see in a very powerful way the, the effects of sin, the effects of rebellion against God's word. When Jacob hears what happens, He's crushed. He believes that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. A terrible way to die. You could say the the sparkle has gone out of Jacob's life. Jacob refuses to be comforted. He says, no, in mourning I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. How many are not like Joseph who think that they will never be happy again? How many are like Joseph and refuse to, or like Jacob and refuse to be comforted? Dreams are shattered by sin and it doesn't look like we'll ever be happy again. Well, brothers and sisters, this passage It shows us the devastating effect of rebellion against God's word. But it also shows us powerful, powerful hope. And that's our final point. We'll see a surviving dream. A surviving dream. For this chapter concludes with Joseph being alive. Joseph lost everything. He lost his home. He lost his relationship with his father, his position. And now he's a slave. But Joseph, Joseph's alive. The story isn't over yet. 
It's true there will be more suffering. Joseph will be sold as a slave. He'll be thrown into prison. And yet this message is one of powerful hope. For it shows us that despite everything, despite all the suffering and sadness and sin and cruelty, God uses that to fulfill his plan. God revealed his plan to Joseph in a specific way. In fact, God's plan is is much more than simply Joseph's brothers bowing down to him. But rather, God's plan for Joseph is that he'll save his family from death. He'll provide for them sheaves of grain so that the, the family can grow to be as many as the stars in the sky. And God is doing that by bringing Joseph to Egypt and making him ruler of the country. So this story, it tells us that all the shocking cruelty and wickedness of people can't crush God's dream. In an amazing way, God uses, actually uses sin to push, to push his plan forward. That's the way God works. God uses, God can use something that's wicked for something that's good. That's always the way God has worked throughout history. That's the way God worked even with the most important event in history, the salvation of of people. Like Joseph, our Lord Jesus Christ suffered. And through his suffering, not just one nation, but all this world was saved. In fact, when you reflect on this passage, you see that there is amazing parallels between the life of Joseph on the one hand and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ on the other. You see, for example, how Joseph's brothers plotted to kill him. So also Jesus' brothers, the Jews, plotted to kill him. Joseph's brothers sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus' disciples disciples sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph's brothers handed him over to Gentiles. So Jesus' brothers handed him over to Pilate. Joseph is silent. Jesus is silent. And God used the evil deeds perpetrated against Joseph to save his people. And so God uses the evil deeds perpetrated against Jesus to save not just one people, but to save the world. To save the world not just from death of starvation, but but from eternal death, death forever. And so all the all the wickedness, all the sin of this world, it doesn't stop God's plan. It doesn't catch him off guard. He doesn't say, I... I never knew that was going to happen, but no, it actually pushes forward his dream. Actually, this dream, it doesn't just survive, but you know this dream. This dream is pushed forward by what happens to Joseph. Wrong things can happen to you. People can disappoint you and hurt you. 
But none of this can ever, ever throw off God's plan in your life. Even, even your own sins. Even your own weaknesses. Even your own pride and arrogance. Even your own wasted time. Even the mess you make of your family or your friends. God, God can work through all of that. He's always been working through all of that. This dream is fulfilled. For this reason, you can meet Christians, can't you? You can meet Christians who, who have been through some terrible, terrible things, have suffered in a terrible way, and yet, and yet come and worship God with joy. Come and live a life of thankful joy. You can meet those people, can't you? The dream is fulfilled. Not Joseph's dream, but actually something much more wonderful. God's plan for our life is actually much more wonderful than anything anything we could dream of. Salvation, joy, beyond anything you can imagine in Christ. Let me share with you a couple a couple implications for you then as a believer. One implication is that you can let things go. If you see the devastation caused by sin, if you experience cruelty, if you're disappointed as a parent, if you're disappointed as a husband or as a wife, if a friend hurts you, if your work doesn't turn out as you had hoped, we can let things go. We can find forgiveness and and let things go. We can still have our dreams. Because you know God has worked through worse before. In fact, that's how God always works. God works salvation despite sin. And so you can have your hopes. You can have your dreams. God uses weak, selfish people. God can use you to fulfill his plan. That's what I find just so amazing about the story of Joseph. You know the rest of the story about how Joseph goes to Egypt and how he works really hard and he becomes the the president of Potiphar's estate. Then through the, the evil conniving of Potiphar's wife, he ends up in jail. And still he, he continues to work hard. It's just amazing to, to realize that. You think if, if you had been put in Joseph's position, you'd say, well, what's the use? What's the use? You know, I, I try so hard, get kicked down. I try so hard to get kicked down. You think that he could become a man who would brood on the insults and the sins of other people? A man who became deeply bitter about life? Sometimes we can do that. But you see, he understood. That's the message of this passage, that you can let it go. You can let it go. You can realize that the Lord the Lord works through all that. That the Lord has a plan that, that nothing can stop. 
and then I'm going to work. You're going to work. You're going to use all the energy you have to serve such a God, no matter what. That's the way. That's the way of Christ. Brothers and sisters, despite your sin, despite the sin in this world around you, God's plan is being fulfilled. No problem, no tragedy, no injustice is ever going to change that. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.